Hey, what's up, guys? And oh my god, welcome to the 50th episode of Talk 4, the quick fire podcast where we ask four great questions to unique and interesting people. Behind the mic today is your host, Louis Scoopian. That's me, and our super special guest for episode 50, Matthew Callsign Wiz Buckley, who's going to be answering some questions today. Matthew, please say hi, introduce yourself and give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do before I shoot some questions. You bet, my brother. Thanks for having me and congrats on episode 50. That's a big uh, milestone, man. Um, uh, Matthew Buckley, my call sign is Wiz and a uh, former Navy FA-18 Hornet fighter pilot. And before we go any further, uh, let me just clear one thing up. So my call sign's Wiz, and let's just say that not all fighter pilots are running around out there with cool call signs like Maverick <laughs> or uh, or Iceman, right? Uh, most fighter pilots go out and earn their call sign, uh, usually by doing something stupid. So my call sign's Wiz, and I'll take no questions about how I earned uh, my call <laughs> sign. But uh, yeah, flew the uh, F-18 Hornet. For about 15 years, uh, I got to graduate from the Navy Fighter Weapons School that many of you know is Top Gun. I went through the adversary course, so I actually learned how to be a bad guy. Uh, and then I also flew some combat sorties whoop, uh, over southern Iraq with uh, Operation Southern Watch off of the Abraham Lincoln and the uh, and the Kitty Hawk. That's absolutely amazing. And yeah, guys, this is a big deal. It's episode 50. And I was, I was thinking, who can I get on for... For episode 50, and you know, I've, I watched Top Gun Maverick recently many times, and <laughs> I, went, I went on the search. I wanted to find someone who graduated Top Gun, and here we are. We've got him on the other end of the screen. And I know that you obviously have your own podcast too, the the uh, Max Afterburner podcast. So um, mm -hmm. i got to ask, what's it like being in the guest seat this time, not the host seat? Oh, it's a lot easier. <laughs> I'm on the receiving end. I, I don't have to do any work, so this is awesome. Damn right. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, hosting podcasts, it's a, it's a stressful business. 50, 50 episodes of it as well. But yeah. I'll tell you what, man, I've got uh, four epic questions lined up for you today. So um, if you're ready to crack on, should we get on to question number one? Fire. Right, let's do it. So for question one, tell me a bit about your backstory then. So how did you originally get into flying in the Navy? What was the inspiration behind it? And how did that lead to graduating Top Gun and this amazing military career you've had? Yeah, so I was uh, I was born and raised in, in South Jersey, outside of Philadelphia. Uh, one of six kids, kind of a, you know, lower middle class Irish Catholic family. And uh, my parents raised me service above self, right, uh, to, to be part of something bigger than you and to love this country. So I uh, was always interested in serving my country and we lived on the beach in New Jersey. So I love the water. So service water. And then across the street from me, uh, uh, my best friend growing up, his dad flew fighters in the uh, New Jersey air national guard. And this guy was larger than life, man. This was the, wow. you know, like early mid eighties and he had this trans am and he wore this flight suit and he was like <laughs> the coolest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Uh, and he flew over our neighborhood one day at about, I don't know, 10 feet in like max afterburner and like almost destroyed us at the bus stop waiting to, <laughs> uh, to go to school. So I'm like, you know what? I want to do that. So flying, uh, water, uh, I, since a young age, always wanted to knew I always wanted to fly jets off of aircraft carriers. So, uh, was lucky enough to get selected for, uh, jet training, 
you know, uh, after I graduated from college, uh, lucky enough at the time to get selected to fly F-18s because at the time the Navy had a lot of jets. They had the Tomcat, obviously, like you saw in the movie Top Gun. They had A-6 intruders. They had jammers. They had a lot of jets, but the most elite jet that you could fly at the time was the F-18 Hornet. Got selected to fly the Hornet and then uh, moved out to California and did two cruises, one on the Abraham Lincoln, one on the Kitty Hawk. Uh, and then also became an LSO, a landing signal officer. So when I wasn't flying, uh, I'd be on the back of the boat day, night uh, with other LSOs trying to help my fellow aviators land aboard the ship. Uh, so that was uh, really interesting. And then followed uh, a lot of guys and gals out of the door in the year 2000 to go be a rich airline pilot and uh, decided to try and win the lottery. And the lottery at the time was getting an airline job and also keeping uh, the ability to fly fighter jets. So I got hired by a Navy reserve fighter squadron out of, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So literally won the lottery, man, I was an airline guy. Uh, and then on the weekends getting to fly the, uh, the F-18 as a reservist. Um, but, uh, my first and last, uh, day at work for American airlines was the morning of September 11th. Wow. Uh, so I was actually packing for my first trip. Uh, when my wife came in and said, hey, you better go take a look at the TV, you know, somebody hit the World Trade Center with an airplane. And I'm like, ah, whatever, you know, idiot in bad weather or small airplane. And she's like, uh, you better come look. So walked out in the living room, saw what everybody else saw, you know, beautiful day in New York City, big hole flames. And I'm like, you know, standing there going through my mental aviation checklist of how that could have happened and then saw the next airplane hit. I immediately knew we were under attack pushed my it's still in my closet as a matter of fact i still have my american airlines uniform in the plastic from the cleaners from the right. tailors uh, so i pushed that out of the way threw on my flight suit i raced out the naval air station fort worth and got out there just as they closed it and went to a combat posture me and another squadron mate made it out we ordered the maintenance guys to get a couple jets uh ready uh for for flight and uh, ran next door where the Air Force Reserve Squadron was. They had F-16s, so four of their pilots made it out there. So it was me and my uh, my buddy Gruff uh, with four other F-16 pilots. We were in the command post briefing to get airborne uh, when the Pentagon got hit. So it was it was just incredibly surreal, uh, incredibly surreal moment. So potentially went from flying in an airliner that day to shooting one down. Uh, maybe even shooting down a squadron mate. I mean, most of the guys in my reserve squadron were airline pilots. I mean, imagine being ordered, you know, not only to shoot down an airline full of civilians, but one flown by, you know, one of your best friends. So it was brutal. So I uh, got furloughed from American Airlines a couple of weeks later, which is polite airline terminology for laid off. Uh, so I kind of went, uh, you know, full time reserve bum, so to speak. Uh, so our squadron got a lot more money, obviously, because we were all getting ready to go to combat. So uh, as a reserve bum, I got selected to go uh, out to Top Gun uh, through the adversary course. So there's like two courses. There's like a the really big course and then there's the bad guy course. So I got to go through the bad guy course. So I flew jets that were painted like bad guys and I had to go study uh, all the enemy tactics and missiles and threats and what they did. Uh, to be the bad guy for the good guys going through the uh, Top Gun course. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then, you know, in the background, uh, you know, as guys were sitting in the red room, you know, with their boots up on the table, you know, drinking coffee, talking about, you know, drinking or whatever. I was interested in finance, 
trading, investing, because you don't join don't join the military to get rich. You join the you know, military to serve your country. So I was always interested in finance. So in the background, I was teaching myself, you know, how to trade stocks, how to trade options. So after I lost my airline job, uh, I was doing so well trading uh, that I popped up on the radar of uh, of a volatility arbitrage firm up in Chicago, and uh, they hired me. Uh, so I went from, uh, it's literally like if anybody's seen the movie trading places, I, I'm Eddie Murphy. I essentially <laughs> went from, uh, you know, being a little old lowly retail trader to, uh, to, uh, the big leagues. So went up and I helped run a multi-billion dollar options trading firm. And then no offense to anybody in Chicago. I'm a beach guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a Navy guy. I like sun, sand, warmth. Uh, so after a couple of years up in Chicago, I said, you know what? this ain't rocket surgery. I can do this on my own. So I moved down here to South Florida and I started a company 2009, I think uh, called Top Gun Options, where I teach people uh, how to trade equity options. That is um, just brilliant. I yeah. Mean, what, what's a, what's a story. And I'm so, I'm just so glad to hear that you've always been able to follow this passion of yours with, with flying. And, and it is something so incredible. I was going to say as well, I spoke to Another F eighteen pilot who I believe you've spoken to as well, Kegan Gill. He was amazing too. Yeah. But um, yeah, we've we've got a little bit of a a cool circle going here, haven't we? Because you know we we know a few similar people, few few yeah. uh, episodes and stuff. But I have to say, I yeah. mean, what, what you've done with your businesses after the military as well is just phenomenal. I mean, some of these facts I was reading when I um when I was obviously doing my my back research, and you, it's it's incredible. And I can imagine there's so many sort of similarities between things that you're doing in the military in terms of the kind of routines and stuff that have also really helped you in in the business world but you know this mm -hmm. this does lead really well to my second question actually where I did want to ask a bit about that so um so obviously mm -hmm. after the military you went on to found three successful companies um one of which went to 25 million in one year you bet any business knows that just breaking even in the first years is an achievement. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> but can you just yeah. tell us how you actually, you know, came to start this company then and what the idea was behind it? And um, and what do you think it was that made it so successful in that first year? Yeah, man. So the options news network. Uh, so when I was in that trading firm, you know, being a being Eddie Murphy in trading places, I was a retail trader, right? I was one of the unwashed masses. And I went up to where the smart money is, Wall Street. Mm. Um and, you know, Wall Street kind of looks at, at as, you know, retail traders or mom and pop people as kind of, you know, the unwashed masses and uh, the unclean. So I, I actually was making a Reese's peanut butter cup. Right. So I was going to marry uh, these two. So the Options News Network, the idea uh, behind it was, hey, why don't we give retail traders mom and pop at home a behind the scenes look? into literally what is going on on Wall Street, on the trading floor, right? Give mom and pop the same access to the, the information that the smart money has, which should kind of be the way it is anyway, right? Mm. Uh, so literally, we, you know, we would shoot our, uh, our programs on the floor of the CBO, the Chicago Board Options Exchange, and the CBOT, Chicago Board Options uh, Trade. And uh, we just I, I just pulled back the curtain and showed people what was going on. Unusual activity. Who's buying what? Who's saying this? What the rumors were? So it really was one. It you know CNBC. Everybody you know kind of has heard of C CNBC. CNBC is stocks. It's stocks twenty four seven. And every once in a while they you know pay lip service to options. I decided to make essentially the CNBC for options, uh, and it just 
it absolutely exploded. Uh, but t- to your point about why was so the the idea was obviously success on its own, but the execution of it was all the military uh, methodologies and training. Right? Hey, what's mm-hmm. our strategy? What are our operational objectives? Contingency planning. Hey, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? So everything I learned flying fighters, I applied uh, to the business world and it worked with incredible success. I mean, I actually wrote a book about it called From Sea Level to Sea Level, where I kind of map out leaving the military and going to Wall Street and using all of those same methodologies that kept us alive uh, in combat conditions. Quick example would be debriefing. Right After every mission, training, combat, we get together behind closed doors and we hash out what worked, what didn't, and there's no punches pulled, right? We are just brutally honest with each other. Um, You know, it's not uh, who's right, it's what's right. So the concept of debriefing is just so foreign to civilians, especially in the civilian business world, right? Because... Uh, most you know businesses organizations don't debrief right all right we had this project it failed okay well it sucks go on to the next one no 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 no. stop you know why did it fail what can what are the lessons we can learn from that failure and apply it to our future execution and another uh, you know tenet of debriefing that's just so hard for the business world to do is that as the leader uh in charge of something when you go into a debrief you actually have to lead the debrief by saying hey man Here's what I know I gooned up. Here's where I made mistakes. What do you all have for me? How can I get better? And that is just the exact opposite of what most, quote, bosses in the business world uh, would ever do, right? And most people sitting in the debrief ain't going to tell their boss how they they think they screwed up. So I actually had to, to, to change the whole mentality of this massive trading firm into uh, one that is open and honest and... And the organizations that do kind of take that ethos or that approach, they just they have explosive growth. So I'd I'd love to take credit for that. But, you know, the idea was kind of solid, but the execution of it was just basically everything I learned flying a fighter jet. Mm, That's so true. And accountability is such an important one. People and people never want to to face the hard truths of of when they screwed up and stuff, taking that accountability. But that's so, all of it's so, so true. And I mean, looking at the stuff you've done, you've definitely got this sort of a spark to you for all this stuff. I mean, you're doing so many different things now. You've got No Fallen Heroes, you've got the podcast, you've got all these businesses and stuff. So clearly you've got some, some, uh, you got, you got some, you got some fire in you, man. It's it's, it's great to see. But um, actually, you know what you were saying there really um, it's actually got has a lot to do with my third question as well, actually. And um, I wanted to Mm -hmm. ask as well. Obviously, you touched on it there as well. But um, let's say so for me, I run my own business and stuff. But um, what practices or lessons did you take from your time in the military that you feel helped the most in succeeding in the world of business, entrepreneurship, and leading? Um, obviously, you do public speaking as well. So there's different things going. Going on here but let's say yeah. for me or something or just someone else who's listening that they've got their own venture going what can they take away from your lessons and apply in their businesses as well great question uh, so uh, there's a lot but there really isn't it all starts with having a clear mission objective right when i'd go into companies and you know teach them how to debrief when i do, do keynotes or i do follow-on business consulting it's pretty amazing to me when i teach them how to debrief so I'll say, all right, let's debrief what just happened, this this product launch or this quarter or whatever. 
and there, there are times when I'll say, okay, well, this was the objective and how did we do? And then half the room's like, wait, wait, that wasn't the objective or I thought it was this or that. So having an absolutely crystal clear mission objective with metrics, right? So everybody in the room looks at the whiteboard and goes, that's the mission. I get it, right? There's no question marks. There's no clarity because in the business world, you know, some, some uh, organizations will have we want to be number one in customer satisfaction, whatever. And it, it's kind of gray. How, how do we define that? Right. So in the military, you never went flying without an absolute crystal clear mission objective of what this mission is. There ain't no gray. And in the business world, there's a lot of gray. Right. Mm, and so yeah, a, a, another powerful concept that I took from the military to the business world is the concept of a spa. And not like a $300 back rub. I mean a <laughs> single point of accountability, right? There's one commanding officer, right? It, it's a, it, The United States Navy is known for this, right? If an aircraft carrier runs aground, it doesn't matter if the commanding officer was sleeping, eating, talking to a sailor in the engine room. She or he is fired, Mm -hmm. Right. And people really don't understand that. Well, the guy driving the boat or no, 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 no. Somebody has to be in charge. Single point of accountability in the business world. People are very comfortable with multiple points of accountability. When I was at that trading firm, I remember one day we were, for whatever reason, we were having problems getting quotes from the Philadelphia exchange to our trading floor. And we lost like 4 million bucks. And the owners of the firm were like, this was like first week I was there. And they're like, Wiz, can you look into this? I'm like, yep. So after the trading day, I got all the tech people together in one room. And I was like, okay, let's start our debrief. Uh, who's responsible for getting quotes from the Philadelphia Exchange to this floor? And you could hear crickets chirping. I'm like, looking around the room, I'm like, um, did I stutter? I'm like, who's responsible for? And after uh, you know, a, a little bit more silence, this one guy's like, well you know, I kind of do this and she does that. And then this guy, I'm like, stop talking. Who has 51% of the vote? Who, whose throat is going to get choked or bat, you know, back is going to get padded as a result of the success or failure of this mission. So just implementing the, the idea of having a single, like 10 people can be working on something. One of them owns it. One of them, 51% owns it. In the business world, most organizations aren't like that. So whether it's debriefing or having single points of accountability or um, having that strategic objective, just those little, it's so funny because in the military, that those concepts are like breathing. And in the business world, people are like, oh my God, that's the most incredible thing I've heard. I'm like, oh man. And you know, the, the final thing I'll add to this is contingency planning. Right before I walk out to the airplane, we sit there and go, "What if? What if my engine fails here? What if the fuel tanker doesn't show?" We "What if?" our plan to death. The time for me to figure out what I'm going to do if I get shot at by a missile over Afghanistan is not when I get shot at by a missile over Afghanistan. I sit true. in the air conditioning, sipping on my diet coke, deciding what if something goes wrong during the execution of this mission. I already thought through it. Right. It's it's really interesting that, you know, people, if you ever listen to, you know, tapes of air to air engagement, you know, usually everybody's pretty calm. Right. It's pretty calm because 
we briefed all of this. The only time you hear like elevated voices is when what happens? Something ain't going as briefed, right? But the vast majority of the time, the final part before we, you know, before I go on a business mission or or, or fly an airplane is the contingency planning. The time to figure out what to do if something goes wrong ain't when it goes wrong. So just these basic blocking and tackling things that I did in the military, applying them to the business world was like sliced bread. It was the coolest thing in the world. And I'm like, man, <laughs> you guys, <laughs> this ain't that hard. <laughs> so true. And um, yeah, I, re- I really feel that because I've been in sport for a while too, but more more so than that, I've spoken to some people on the podcast who do parkour free running you know the guys who are on skyscrapers and tall buildings and stuff jumping roof gaps and stuff <laughs> yeah. crazy stuff but I, I always I always ask them how do you conquer that fear of it and how do you how do you actually commit to something like that where your life's on the line and they've always said it's all about the contingency planning it's all about the preparation and stuff they're yep. so clued up on what they're doing they're so aware of everything that could happen and exactly how it needs to happen that they just that fear just diminishes and um Another really good point you made there as well. I always found I've heard this advice before as well, but um, when starting companies and stuff and with anything where there's accountability involved, it's so important to have that 51%, not 50-50, because then people just are at each other's throats and then there's so much conflict from that 50-50. It's so important to have that 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 defining ownership factor to it, isn't there? So you know exactly who's responsible. Um, And the other thing I thought as well was that doing tennis and with my business and stuff and even this podcast so important to have those short medium and long-term goals and what you Mm -hmm. said about the goal setting and stuff too so true so true and the thing about really defining that mission plan as well is that when you when you start to break it down you've got all these things you know exactly what needs to be done what needs to be done to do it and the contingencies and everything time it gets so much more used in such a more efficient way and um Mm -hmm. i've always found that especially it's like when when you start running around like a headless chicken trying to do a project and stuff and you just don't know exactly what needs to be done then it it just it's a killer for time yeah and people burn out in a tactical organization right if people show up to work every day and they don't even know what they're doing for lunch let alone their year mission objective people burn out Mm -hmm. right running around with their head cut off they can't they just got their rusty machete and they're hacking it out in the woods, man. Instead of like knowing, you know, who's up in the tower mapping out, here's the road over here that, that we're going to do. So if if you don't have all that stuff mapped out, people get burnt out and also people stop to care, stop caring, right? Yeah. If they're like, I don't even know why I'm here. What, you know, what am I aligned to? So you're right. The more clarity you can provide people, it actually frees up a lot more time, right? Instead of just busy work. So true. And yeah, I mean, when you when you have those those broken down goals and you've got these things, it's it's a really, really good thing because then you can attach a timestamp to all of it, can't you? And then the team and stuff can be on board of it and everyone knows what needs to be done by when and for everything from gym and personal, you know, fitness training and and growth and mental health, everything. It's just having that mission plan, it's so, so important. But um Correct. Wiz, I want to. I want to just ask as well, just out of pure curiosity, why trading? What 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 do you like so much about him? What why did he go into it in the first place as well? I'm just just curious. Yeah, well, like I said, the I mean, when I got commissioned as an ensign in the Navy, I'm going to date myself in 1991. 
you know, I, I went down to Key West Naval Air Station. Like I said, I knew you're not going to get rich, you know, joining the Navy here. So mm-hmm. I always wanted to invest uh, a little bit of money uh, just each month. Uh, the beautiful girlfriend I was dating at the time, which became my beautiful bride, I think she kept you know, the, the store and Taylor in business. And I saw the American express bill. So those were like the first two stocks that I bought. Right. So it just kind of was a, a snowball effect. Uh, and then, you know, my motto at Top Gun options is actually trading is a form of combat. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to get their ass handed mm-hmm. to them. Which one do you want to do? So why wouldn't you use the same methodologies uh, that I use flying a, a fighter aircraft to trading? So it's it's a very because I'd say ninety percent of trading is emotional, right? People are like you know they buy a stock, oh man, it's going down. You know it, they get their feelings involved, and the more antiseptic you can be about trading, the better. Uh, trader you're going to be right. Uh, it's it's kind of a checklist approach. Like hey. If this stock hits this, I'm out for either profit or loss. I mean, you, you got to be, it's just like being an aviator in in the cockpit. If you're like, oh, you know, I know I'm low on fuel, but I'm just going to stretch it a little bit. And then you flame out and you have to eject. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the squadron, we say a lot of our SOPs, standard operating procedures are written in blood, right? When, when the F-18 first came out in what, the early 80s, whenever the, the emergency procedure section was about three pages. When I stopped flying the Hornet, I think it's a hundred, right? Why? Because bad things happen, right? And they then they become a procedure. So mm. same thing in trading. So, you know, whether it's flying an airplane or trading, having a a process and procedures and defined exit, you know, entry and exit points. So investing was just always a a, a no no brainer to me. It was uh plus it's fun, you know, the thrill yeah. of the kill. I I you know, I like being right. Who doesn't like making money? But I also like mm. being right. And if I'm wrong, if something goes against me, a trade, I immediately debrief why. I just don't go, I lost money on that. Let me move on. I want to know what happened and how that's not going to happen again. Uh, so even if you're a little old lady in tennis shoes at Top Gun Options, I teach you all of these type of methodologies so you you can trade successfully. Because if, if you take the emotion out of it, uh, just like in flying, you're going to be successful. Mm, really good point. And the other the other thing I see in there as well is that you wouldn't you wouldn't get on the plane and you wouldn't go out into combat or go on a mission or something unless there was so much clarity and such reason, so much approval and stuff as well. And I guess it's the Correct. same thing with 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 trading too. It's like so many it people is. think I'm oh, I'm just going to invest. I'm going to buy some stocks of this yeah. and stuff, and they just kind of just chuck it around a bit, yeah. don't they? Chuck it around the room. But correct, it's yep. the, the intel and that. And that that recon and stuff as well to, to these companies and the stocks and the yep. fine details before making that execute decision that that's a big similarity as well. I can I can totally see that in uh oh, in, yeah. in the trading and stuff. And um, I love what you did with the uh, you know using the Top Gun thing as well because that that's such a cool thing and um, just just mm-hmm. just out of interest as well. I mean let let's put it this way: you know it, I know it. It's literally the coolest title ever. So what what is the kind of standard reaction when? You introduce yourself and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was a Top Gun graduate pilot. Well, how do people react to that? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, most of the, you know, let, just talking about the first movie, you know, th- there's no way in hell you could have pulled off most of the things going on in, in that movie. And, you know, between us ladies, the first movie is a hell of a lot more realistic than the second one. Man. Really? Really? 
No. Oh God, don't even get me started on the second one. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, the only respect I have for the second movie is that the actors actually did the flying, right? Most mm. of the flying was them in the backseat of a Hornet and, you know, them passing out is them passing out for real. So the fly, the, the sus- willful suspension of disbelief in the second one is easier because most of the flying scenes are legitimate as mm. opposed to the first one. But the, um, it's funny because, yeah, the, the initial reaction people have is about the movie, right? Because that's how they relate to. I mean, before Top Gun came out, uh, naval aviation was advertising in the New York Times, right? There was classified ads like, hey, you know, we need pilots type of thing. And of course, after that movie came out, it was the biggest recruiting uh, poster ever made. Uh, so it's interesting. Um but yeah, the the the, the reaction is pretty funny, and you know, mm-hmm. usually I have to talk people down from how, how realistic uh, it is. I mean, Top Gun itself, like I said, I went through the red course, the bad guy course, the blue course. I mean, those poor guys and gals, man. You know, for for a one hour mission, they're probably doing a full day of planning, and then if the uh, you know the mission was an hour, I've seen four six i've seen eight hour debriefs um so it's wow. it's it is a it's an ass kicking uh evolution going to uh to top gun either the blue or the red course because it, it it's not because it it really is it's the best of the best because if if we go anywhere in the world and we're surprised or we're at a disadvantage, then we failed at Top mm-hmm. Gun, right? We need to be able to, it, it, it literally needs to be the best of the best. Uh, and uh, it, let me uh, clear up some confusion. You don't go to Top Gun for your career, right? Uh, even if you're an instructor at Top Gun, it's about a two or three year, uh, two or three year tour. At Top Gun, you're actually taught to be an instructor because in, in my squadron, for example, there was 18... Yeah, 17, 18 pilots. So when I went to the course and got my adversary qualification, I came back and I was expected to be a teacher, right? Because everybody can't go to Top Gun. So when you you become a graduate, you actually kind of are that instructor too. You got to go back to your fleet squadron and say, hey, man, here's the coolest, latest intel that I just learned. And here's the coolest, latest, greatest tactics. <laughs> Let me teach you them. So it's kind of the uh, train the trainer type of mentality. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 funny hearing the real the real Top Gun pilot. You're not a fan of of the second movie, and that that's really interesting to me and stuff. But just out of curiosity as well, um, you know, since the first movie and the second movie, not not so much second movie, but the effects of the first movie, has mm-hmm. that actually stuck as well as you'd think it has in the actual Top Gun and stuff like the songs and the music and the kind of the jokes and stuff around it? Is there is that has that actually kind of stuck and things have sort of taken their place in in the in the real thing as well or did, or did the people in top gun kind of just not really care about it too much oh my god if you mention the movie at top gun it's a 50 dollar fine that no way the, <laughs> that goes into the drinking fund oh god yeah no 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 you don't even you, you don't even talk about it it's it's verboten 
Nope. <laughs> no. oh, that's, that's brilliant. Fifty dollar fine for talking about it. Yeah, I can imagine that sort of a thing happening and stuff. And um, yeah. is there is there is there a fine for playing Danger Zone out loud in the oh school? Oh my god! Yeah, no, you can't even. It's bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's. But you know, it's it, we get it that it's you know it's part of pop culture and stuff like that, and it it leads to recruiting and everything. Like you know, one of my really good friends. Uh, you should have on your podcast. His name's Brian Ferguson. His okay. call sign's Ferg. He was the technical advisor for right. Maverick, and he was also the technical advisor for Devotion, uh, the the movie that just came out about the first African American Navy fighter pilot, uh, right. and Thomas Hudner, who was awarded the Medal of Honor for trying to save his life. So Ferg is a great guy to talk to because the Navy, after they saw the success of uh, the original Top Gun, they actually sent Ferg on Navy orders. I mean, he was sent to Paramount for like 14 months, and he's got some really great stories uh, about uh, when I, I saw him down in Miami. He's a Delta captain now, mm-hmm. uh, but he showed me his cell phone. He's like, that's Tom's number, and that's Jerry Bruckheimer. He's like, he became really good friends and best friends, so he's got some awesome stories about the behind the scenes of, uh, of Maverick. So you, you Brilliant. need to talk to him. Uh, but the Navy this time around is definitely uh, a lot more supportive of it. I mean, they, you know, the aircraft carrier, uh, they allowed them to use and stuff like that. I mean, they, they paid for it. I remember Ferg telling me this one story, something about like Jerry Bruckheimer's like, all right, well, we need to, the boat to do this or the sun angle for this. And Ferg's like, uh, yeah, it's, that, that'll be 11 million bucks. And I think Ferg said it as the joke. And Jerry Bruckheimer looked at him like, and shrugged his shoulders like, uh, duh, do it. <laughs> so it was, uh, um, but yeah, so yeah, you got to talk to Ferg because he's got some great Maverick stories. Hell yeah. No, I'll, I'll definitely reach out as soon as, um, as soon as we're done here, I'll make sure to sling a message and see if I can get him on and stuff. But um, okay. anyway, before we, uh, before we move on to our last question, just want to ask on the subject, anything goes here, you mm-hmm. versus Maverick, Dog fight. Who's clutching the wind, you reckon? That's like the dumbest question I've ever heard. It's me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I expected nothing less than that. Perfect. Yeah. Right. He's now. a well, plus he's a little older than me. So I I got that. He's a couple years older than me. So yeah, he's, he's a short <laughs> Tom Cruise, as well. You know, he's yeah, like I said, talk to Fur because he's got some good stories. I mean, Tom, a, a great guy, apparently. He's an aviator too. Obviously, he flies his own Mustang and he flies an L39. I own a couple L39. So maybe this is my open invitation to Tom that he and I can go out and dogfight for charity. How about that? For the No Fallen Heroes Foundation. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. Try and record it as well. I'd love to see that. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, talking about No Fallen Heroes, um, this is actually part of my fourth question. And um, it's taken a deeper turn, but um, here we go. So I know that you are doing obviously so much work on No Fallen Heroes right now and that you're a huge advocate for veteran suicide prevention, which is a massive problem. Um, my question yeah. for you is if a vet is listening to this podcast right now, who's in a bad place, not sure where, where to turn, what to do, what advice would you give them or what would you say to help them out and get onto a better path for recovery? The first thing I tell them is there is hope. There is a way uh, out of the darkness. I'm speaking from experience. Well, the first thing I'd say is if anybody uh, is listening to this, a veteran's in trouble in, in, in the United States, you can dial 988. 988 is the National Suicide Hotline and press one uh, if you're a veteran. Uh, underneath that, hell man, you can call me. 
312-753-8080. I got my phone with me 24-7. Man, I will talk to anybody. My email's whiz at nofallenheroes.com. So getting that out of the way, uh, that healing is possible. So unfortunately, the most recent studies, the University of Alabama and Duke University came out with a study about a month or so ago that said 44 veterans uh, kill themselves every day in this country. Shocking. The old number was 22. Um, so essentially that's doubled. How did it double? Apparently, Uncle Sam was only counting like, you know, guys shooting themselves in the head type of suicides, not suicides by alcohol or drug overdoses, which guess what? Uh, a lot of veterans are taking their own lives. And the 22 a day number also came from 2019. That's how great we are in, in America. Our data on suicide of veterans is three years old. I think the next round is coming out this year. But guess what happened since 2019? COVID happened and our VA hospitals turned into like civil war hospitals. It was a disgrace at the VA hospitals uh, wow. during COVID. And what, what also happened since 2019 in this country, the biggest military surrender uh, in our Republic's history in Afghanistan. Mm. My phone was ringing off the hook from guy 20 years in Afghanistan. Guys were like, why did my legs get blown off? We literally, after 20 years, 3,000-ish of our troops and trillions of dollars, we gave the country back to the people we started fighting. So veterans just went, who had served in Afghanistan, their morale just went straight down thing, yeah. into the shitter. Um, and one of the biggest, day one in the United States military, what, 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 what are we told that our motto is? No one left behind. What did we say in Afghanistan? Hey, man, uh, well, if you can't make it to this gate by this time, you're on your own. I, it was insane. So in the past three years, since the 22 a day, day, I always said that when I when the 22 a day number, I always said, you know what, man, it's got to be higher than that. And then 44. So a couple years ago uh, and I had lost his pictures over there. Uh, my uh, One of the best men in my wedding uh, put a bullet in his head. He was a Marine. I lost I've lost three uh, F-18 uh, pilots to suicide. And I said, I got to do something about it, man. This is insane. Started the Top Gun Fighter Foundation a couple years ago. And then that was kind of too, you know, the name Top Gun and, oh, you just trying to help aviators. So I said, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm trying to help all veterans, mm -hmm. first responders and their families. So we're sh we shutting down Top Gun Fighter Foundation, standing up, no fallen heroes foundation. But about a year and a half ago, you know, I know, I know you had Marcus Capone on Alphonse, you know, bumped into him and I ended up going down to Mexico with uh, Marcus Luttrell, which many of you know is as the uh, lone survivor and Jared gotcha. Taylor, uh, JT from Black Rifle Coffee, one of the founders of Black Rifle, another Navy SEAL and, uh, and a football player, NFL player who just had horrific CTE. I mean, this guy looked like death. And here we are a year and a half later, man. Marcus hasn't touched a drink. He's getting ready to be a deacon in the Catholic church. JT is just a completely different. We're all completely different human beings. And I have, I've never uh, felt better in my life. So uh, the no fallen heroes foundation, uh, we're trying to get everybody who is looking for help, potential help uh, with the use of psychedelic assisted uh, therapy. Now this ain't, this is hard. This isn't, Hey man, I take uh, you know this magical plant and everything's gone. It is some um, 
it is it is tough uh the the this plant medicine and these psychedelics they put a blinding spotlight on everything right most people if veterans i i did it a lot of guys in the no fallen heroes project did it hey man we don't want to look at the darkness right we're going to hide that darkness with alcohol with drugs with just bad stuff the medicine ain't going to let you look away from that. It's going to it's going to force you to lean into that stuff. So this ain't easy. This is not this is not a be all end all, and it's not for everybody. But uh, I call it radical healing. Whether you're a Navy SEAL kicking down doors in Fallujah, or you're a Navy fighter pilot pulling nine G's and you know type of crap, that's radical stuff. This is radical healing, right? You can heal trauma walking on the beach you can climb to the top of a mountain in uh, nepal there are so many ways to heal this is potentially one of them and if it resonates with you you know you can reach out to our foundation uh because like, like i said we want to help veterans and most veterans get out they take off one uniform and they put on another becoming a first responder and then obviously the families the families are suffering a lot of trauma as well so our mission objective is to help all three of those groups uh find healing Brilliant. And yeah, no, I've heard I've heard the stories from from Mark Keller and Kegan Gill as well. And it's yeah. amazing what's what's been going on with all this stuff. But it's just shocking the problem. And you're so right about Afghanistan. I mean, for someone who's had a, a limb blown off of has been through hell with all this stuff, it must I, I, yeah. I, if it was me, I could imagine that at least the one thing I'd be holding on to is that it had an effect and it was worth it and it was a worthy sacrifice. Yeah. But Correct. To, to see that. Well, you know what? Yeah. This gets back to our mission objective, right? Mm. Defined mission objective, right? What is it? You know, why are we here? Why are we fighting this thing? And then to find out in like 24 hours, that was all bullshit. That's just got to be, that's got to be crushing, soul crushing. Yeah. I mean, anybody below the rank of colonel would know that the second we pulled out, the whole country is going to collapse. It was just, it, it was a horror for the young women and men. First of all, who lost their lives, their families, or people just injured, uh, seen and unseen injuries. So, yeah, the Afghanistan withdrawal, man, saw a massive spike in veteran suicides in this country. And guess what? Nobody's talking about it, man. You know, it, it's not like Joe Biden's going to have a press conference today like, hey, did you hear? Now 44 veterans a day are killing themselves. I mean, I, I this guy, you know, between us ladies, I can tell you for a fact that the number one reason that Hunter Biden is a cleaned up human being is because he went to Mexico and he did the medicine. And I have no idea why he doesn't get to his dad or his dad used this as a talking point. Like, Hey man, especially since he's about to be indicted. Hey man, my son was as fucked up as a football bat. He did this medicine in Mexico. I hear that veterans are doing it. Man, I'd love to have an initiative to he could he could seize the offensive right now and get in front of this country and go, you know what? I can't believe my son or veterans have to go to a foreign country and uh, heal themselves. I'm going to do something about it. It's it's shocking that it's not shocking that knowing the numbers are about 44 a day, that it's just way quiet. And, mm. you know, there are you know, there, there are folks in this space that are doing taking the right approach of, you know, Congress and shaking hands and all sorts of stuff. I'm taking the exact opposite approach. The VA is a massive bureaucracy that ain't going to do anything on its own. You think congressmen and senators are just going to do stuff? on No, it's we the people. 
the more I get the word out. Whenever I tell somebody, when I tell somebody 22 veterans a day kill themselves, their face would drop. Now, when I tell them 44, they're like, there's no, that's insane. I'm like, yeah. So we, the people are going to get to the politicians. We, the people will get to the politicians who get to the VA because it ain't going to go, it ain't going from VA politicians on down to us. It's going to come from us. So I respect the guys and gals in this space that are putting on the coats and ties and shaking hands with the politicians. They, they can have that. That ain't me. I'm, I'm talking to the people. Uh, this, this is going to be a, we, the people mo uh, movement. This ain't going to be uncle Sam. Uncle Sam's the one who made this shit illegal. It cracks me up. Cra it doesn't crack me up. It actually pisses me off. But the definition of a schedule one drug in this country is high risk of addiction and no therapeutic use. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Ibogaine. I never want to do Ibogaine again, man. I got my ass kicked. So ain't no addiction. It's anti-addictive, right? The more psilocybin, the more Ibogaine you take, God's a pretty smart ph pharmacologist. The less it works. You can't mm -hmm. keep going back to it. God's like, uh-uh. So no addictive properties. And it's it, it changed and saved my life. So it's not addictive and very therapeutic. Let me give you the definition of something that is highly addictive and not therapeutic, a cigarette. My God, why is a cigarette not a Schedule One drug? Well, Wiz, let's answer that really <laughs> quickly. The tobacco lobby. It's because of money. Cigarettes will kill you, and they're the most addictive thing on the planet, but they're not a Schedule One drug. So you could do some psilocybin in this country and be charged with a felony, but the tobacco companies are out there pushing this shit. It's, it's, we're, we're inverted, and I, I'm fired up about it because this has got to change it's insane it, it is absolutely so true and that's the thing about the news though it's based on trend not what needs to be spoken about and i totally agree with what you said as well and um it's like you know i've had some friends who have struggled with alcohol and stuff and the funny thing is that what people don't realize about sobering up and stuff is that when people use stuff for for, for for a coping mechanism is that yeah. as soon as they do so rub they think it's just going to be oh, okay just get through this it's going to be fine then they realize that actually hang on a minute the problems are still here and it, now exactly. they feel worse so uh, yeah. i like what you said there you know it's not some magic pill or something that just fixes you it puts the problems in front of you but i mean the lifestyle changes and the and the work only just begins really you have to work on yourself to oh, be able yeah. to, to heal and stuff yeah, the, the 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 ratio they told me in Mexico, because I remember after my ibogaine treatment, I'm like, I am healed. I am a clean machine. Oh my God, this is awesome. And they're like, all right, throttle back with five percent, five percent's down here, ninety-five percent's the integration. I'm like, yeah, whatever. They were right. Five percent was, you know, but it's all in the integration, right? Cause some people, because there are, there are it's not all success stories, right? I hear people, oh, I had a buddy who whatever. It's because they didn't integrate. Mm. They weren't doing their weekly coaching sessions. They went back to their old habits. So there it's a, so for me, it was a control alt delete. It can, it scrubbed me and put me back to a reset state. Now, if I had come home and went back to the shit that I was doing beforehand, I guarantee you the integrate, I would have failed and be, I would, I'd be bad mouthing this right now. So this was not easy. This, this is a deadly serious uh, undertaking. Uh, but as far as the alcohol, man, I was a drinker and I was not a good drinker. Um, after I, it was gone. 
Mm. I think now I'm back to maybe I can, you know, I'll have a glass of wine with a steak, but old me, I'd a glass of wine was the bottle of wine. Right. I couldn't even look at alcohol. It made me physically ill. I'm a coffee whore. <laughs> I couldn't even drink coffee. This thing completely scrubbed everything. Now I'm back to a, you know, a little cup of coffee every once in a while and some, but it, it, it's going to give you, you kind of reset and what you do with you reset you're the pilot in command. Whatever word you want to use, God, source, truth, divine, one of those words is going to give you something, and what you do with it, it it's a second chance. I'm not, I, 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 before doing the medicine, I used to laugh at people using this type of terminology, but I was reborn. It was literally me new, and it was pretty, it was pretty damn cool. But again, not magic, and it's a lot of heavy lifting, man. You talk to Kagan and and Slider. I mean, we're and we're all still integrating, man. I'm still mm. getting stuff from the medicine and still learning and still uh, evolving with stuff. But it, it's uh, I, I thank God every day for for the gift of uh, of this new life and and for the healing that it uh, gave me. So I'm trying to put the ladder down to as many people. This was one of those. You know, because as a fighter pilot and as, you know, as a meat eater stuff, you know, before doing the medicine, reading all the stuff that I could, there was a lot of dumb stuff I'd read. I'm like, God, oh, that sounds ridiculous. Like the medicine calls to you. I'm like, that's dumb. Huh? Totally does. The medicine will call to you if, if, you know, it's not something, Hey, I, it, it's a, it's a process, right? Another, another thing that I thought was ridiculous is once you agree to do the medicine, things start changing once you put that out there to the universe. Cause I was just, it's so weird that we're talking about it because yesterday went to the beach, had my old journal from the first time I did the medicine and I can see how I changed. Right. Mm -hmm. when, so when I said, Hey, I'm going to do this, things got, things changed, things got better. So it, it, it it's an incredible, uh, incredible process. But again, I always have to stress it is not for everybody. And it it's this is some tough work. Sure. I can tell you. But guess imagine. what? It's if if this is work, if talking about this or helping people heal is work, you can sign me up for the rest of my life. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I mean, I like teaching people how to trade, but you know, my dad, he always told me, Matthew, you can't take it with you, man. They don't put mm -hmm. it in your casket. So I, I you know, money's great, but I'd rather use any money that I make in our foundation to help save uh lives. Cause you know, right now, I think we budget about five grand ish per vet to to send them to Costa Rica or Mexico for treatment, which is a lot of money, man. Yeah. Especially for a vet if they're down on their luck or you know not working. So that's why any donations to our foundation is used for sponsorship. Another guy, uh, Lewis, you got to talk to is Justin Lepree. Justin Lepree owns or runs Heroic Path to Light in Austin. So he started an entheogenic church. So he actually uses the medicine as a sacrament. So instead of us spending five grand to send somebody down to Mexico, he's doing it in Austin under the auspices of a church, right? Because right. I can't believe we even have to say this because this country was founded on religious freedom. But if you're using the, these medicines for a spiritual purpose, it's not a felony. It's not a you know, schedule one. So he's actually... I think two weeks ago, yeah, two or three weeks ago, he just did his first retreat Brilliant. on USC soil. So this is coming. This is 
I mean, hell, I'd love to open the, you know, Colorado just legalized it a couple of weeks ago in their election. Uh, I'd love to ho- open the No Fallen Heroes Aspen Institute of Healing, but it's a national disgrace that we're having to send veterans, first responders, or their family members overseas uh, to heal. It's a disgrace. So I'm going to mm. fight that, and and we're going to win. It, it, there's there's no stopping this. Big Pharma is going to try and stop it, but Big Pharma right now speaks with forked tongue. They're bad-mouthing all of it, while at the same time, their agents are out there trying to figure out how to corner it and you know profit off of it. But guess what? God's a pretty good pharmacologist because you can't patent a root and you can't trademark a toad. So good luck, big pharma. So (laughs) either, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And they're about to get steamrolled over, I guarantee you. That's what I want to hear. That's exactly what I want to hear. And um, I I know that you have to, um, I know you have to uh, whiz off in in a minute for the the, the grudge match of the century. So um, shut me up if you need to go. But I just want to ask as well, just quickly, um, I know mm-hmm. that you're making a documentary uh, for No Fallen Heroes as well. I've, I've read up, you so bet. I'm just just wondering how how's that going and and what's looking for the release of it. Yeah, so we're still in production. Uh, we want to do some more shooting in February because this. Is, so uh, I'll give you a little bit of a peek as as to why we're still in production because we went down to Mexico with Slider and and the other guys and we and we shot, but here's so this is big. Right. So at the beginning of No Fallen Heroes, uh, when I talked about doing this project in this documentary, Hollywood, to their credit, came back to me and said, hey, man, no offense. You're five white dudes. You know, we need a little (laughs) diversity. So uh, so uh, good. Good point. So I picked up the phone, me and a couple other guys on the project. We picked up the phone and we called some of the, the women we had flown fighters with. And guess what? They said, yeah, you know, we'd love to heal uh, our PTSD. And we were like, great, okay, and we'd love to have you on the project. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It ain't uh, it ain't from combat. It's from rape and sexual assault. And I was like, whoa. Hang on a minute. It's the deep hole. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we kicked over a rock here. And they said, hey, man, no offense. Why don't you guys go first and uh, give us a call and let us know how it goes. So we did. So we so in February, uh, tentatively, we have two female veteran fighter pilots, uh, F-16, I believe, and an F-15 driver who are going to do the medicine and we're going to document it. So we wanted to. So we're in production. We loved I think we're going to release sometime this year, but it's about the healing and documenting that it ain't about a schedule. So this is this is a big deal that these women are brave enough to uh, uh to, to, first of all, to have the courage to want to heal, and second of all, to to put it on film and and talk about it. So this is going to be a big deal. You know, uh, Marcus and you know him and Vets and all those folks did a great job, uh, but they were focusing on who Navy Special Warfare and you know special operators and stuff like that. Well, guess what? There are that many women in Navy SEALs and special operators, right? There's no females, but as aviators we obviously have female squadron mates. So we're yeah. going to be, you know, we're putting down the ladder of healing to female veterans uh, as well. It's a brilliant thing. And um, 
I really can't wait to see it. So I'm going to be keeping a very keen eye out there. And everyone, everyone needs to do their part. You know, send some donations and stuff. Get a, get onto it, guys. Um, links will be all in the description it. and yeah. stuff. But um, hey, so that has in fact been our four and quite a bit of questions done for today. And before we wrap this up, Wiz, it is time for what I love to call the shameless plug. So. Feel free to take a minute and promote anything that you're working on. You want people to take a look out, just something that you believe in or your social media. Anything goes. No, oh, yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. It's not, sh- I am full of shame, but I'll still do it. But yeah, you can go to uh, nofallenheroes.com, obviously, and you can watch our trailer. I think there's a like a four minute trailer on there uh, of what the, the, the project's all about. Then uh, nofallenheroesfoundation.org is where uh, our foundation website is going to be. And if you go to nofallenheroesfoundation.org slash donate, as uh, we talked about, you can uh, help sponsor uh, a veteran, a first responder, or a family member uh, for treatment. Um, so that that would be great. And then, yeah, uh, No Fallen Heroes is our Instagram. Uh, what's my Instagram? Official underscore Wiz Buckley. You know, I, it's, it's so funny. I always laugh at people when they have the official in the front of, but d- dude, I got to tell you like two, three times a week, I get like screenshots from ladies with dude, people using my <laughs> images, my, even my kids, like saying, you know, I'm stuck in Iraq and I need money. I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> so it's, it's official underscore, uh, Wiz Buckley is uh is is my instagram I, I, people just some losers in the world man i mean that horrible <laughs> you fake profiles and try and get money from people and then obvi- um you know topgunoptions.com uh slash sit rep s-i-t-r-e-p so uh it, it that's kind of our gateway drug to to join top gun options because i do uh, a daily sit rep it's called right the mm-hmm. term sit rep in the military world is situation report. So topkinoptions.com slash sit rep, and you can get uh, access to our free uh, daily video where I talk about the market, uh, you know, potential trades that we're doing. I'll get a political rant going in there every once in a while. So it's uh, <laughs> kind of like my podcast too. And there's the last shameless plug. Look at that. Uh, the Max Afterburner podcast. If, 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 if this resonates with you at all, the Max Afterburner podcast, episode seven, Lucky seven is where I debrief uh, my first medicine journey. That one is a, that one, I re-listen to that one and it, it brings tears to my eyes. So episode seven, and if you're a female, last shameless plug, if you're a female, mm-hmm. listen to episode 33. So my wife, uh, my brave, beautiful bride decided to step into the medicine as well. And uh, she went down in the mission within where I went in Mexico with a couple Navy SEAL wives and she did the medicine as well. So if you'd like to hear from a female uh, perspective, it's it's episode 33. So I'm seven and Susie's 33. And then sprinkled in between is like uh, Smurf and Slider and some other uh, guys uh, debriefing the medicine uh, as well. So that's that's all my shameless plugs, my brother. <laughs> fantastic fantastic stuff like i said links are all going to be in the description guys um very very last thing just a fun little question um had to ask it fanboy and me but um is there a little top gun slang word or term or motto or something to take away from here or something fights on fights on all right fights on so (laughs) yeah like if you and i if you ever you got to come to florida someday mate and uh, i'll throw you in the back seat of my fighter jet and i'll take you up god that sounds like and we'll go out and pull some g's l39 is a nice airplane man it's about we can do about 500 miles an hour maybe eight g's uh so you come we'll uh we'll go out and bend the jet around but so if you (laughs) and i were you're in your jet and i'm in my jet we'd count down 
three, two, one, fights, fights on. on. And then that's when it goes, man. So that's how I sign off everything, man. It's like <laughs> fights on. Let's do it. Great stuff. Thank you for that. And um, yep, I'll see you, see you in Florida soon. But hey, Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today for the Talk for podcast and for being my 50th episode as well. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks, my brother. Congrats on the uh, the the 50 and uh, here's the 200 more. Hell yeah, you know it. <laughs> anyway, so guys, thank you for listening. This has been episode 50. So proud. Thank you for everything. And if you'd like to listen to any of the past 50 episodes, go and have a look at our channel. And if you'd like to listen in for the future ones, there's going to be many and many amazing people. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and spread some love by leaving a like and a comment. Signing off for now.